This is Jimmy Dore, uh, one of the giants in podcasting, and you're listening to PF's tape recorder. That's a tape recorders are things that uh, they're old. They don't we don't use them anymore. But uh, that's why that's why it's charming. I'm P.F. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, John Heffron talks about moving to Los Angeles and then getting your big break back home. And I got a call from the radio guy asking if I'd be interested. And I was like, sure, I'd be interested. And he said how much money it would be. And all at the time, it was more money than I've ever made. And in my brain, I was like, oh my. So I was like, are you kidding me? I have to repack and move back to Detroit. We'll hear more from the former champion of Last Comic Standing, as well as a guy who thinks he's a comedian. That would be Ted Nugent. He's going to Skype in. Mitt Romney, the man Ted Nugent is endorsing for president, also gives us a shout. And we hear another song from Cleveland's Crash Coffin. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. The space shuttle Discovery departed at daybreak this past Tuesday from the Kennedy Space Center and was headed for the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum's Udvar-Hazy Center on top of a modified jumbo jet. To fly the shuttle to Washington costs about $1.8 million, plus $35 for luggage. NASA's solar orbiter captured an enormous eruption from the sun this past week, Space.com reports. The beautiful prominence eruption was captured by the Solar Dynamics Observatory. Although visually spectacular, the resulting solar flare registered only in the middle of the intensity scale and posed no danger to Earth, however. The burst of super-hot plasma, called a coronal mass ejection, caused the sun to become sleepy, at which point it took a nap. Movie audiences have been enjoying the re-release of James Cameron's 1997 epic Titanic. The new version, issued to coincide with the 100th anniversary of the ship's sinking, is available in 3D, and the famous sketch scene featuring Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet is available in 36D. The Democratic-controlled Senate failed on Monday to reach a supermajority needed to pass a tax plan offered by President Obama to require millionaires to pay a 30% minimum effective tax rate. The 51-45 defeat of the Buffett rule, named after billionaire investor Warren Buffett, fell mostly along party lines. Senate Republicans are interested instead in promoting a $330 million cut to Planned Parenthood, which ironically will screw millions of couples nationwide. Agents and officers involved in the prostitution scandal ahead of the president's visit to Colombia have been stripped of their security clearances, CBS News reports, which is kind of what the agents had been accused of doing in Colombia. The agency also announced it will stop recruiting young agents from Ohio University, the University of Colorado at Boulder, and Penn State. See, there's big party schools, you see. North Korea accused the U.S. of hostility on Tuesday for suspending an agreement to provide food aid following Pyongyang's widely criticized rocket launch and warned of retaliatory measures in response. North Korea's foreign minister hinted that the communist nation may launch a long-range missile strike on U.S. interest just as soon as it can figure out how to keep its missiles from blowing up right after launch. Jamie Moyer, who pitched his first game before Wrigley Field installed lights, won his most recent game this past Tuesday at an age no one dreamed possible. Moyer, at 49 years and 152 days, became the oldest pitcher in Major League Baseball history to win a game when he beat the San Diego Padres 5-3 at Coors Field. Moyer, who has completed more seasons than the Simpsons, has struck out more guys than every head cheerleader in America combined. And that's been Fake News with me.
couple of episodes back, we talked about Ted Nugent and some of the incendiary things he said in the past uh, about the President of the United States, and uh, last week, Ted found himself in some hot water again, uh, which is usually fine as long as he's in there with some teenage girls. But anyway, Ted sort of threatened the President of the, of the United States uh, in a backhanded sort of way, and, uh, oh wait, I'm sorry, the Skype's going off again, just let me grab this real quick. Uh, hello? P.F. Ted Nugent, rock and roll madman calling. How the hell are you? Just got off a rock and roll stage singing a song about Uh, uh, easy, big fella there. Um, I, I guess I'm fine. How are you? Hey, I heard you were talking about, uh, what I said to the NRA. That was some funny sh**, wasn't it? Uh, well, I agree with the, uh, with the sh** part, maybe. Oh, come on, P.F., that was funny. Well, not based on the material. Um, what else have you got? I'll, uh, here's one for you. Sarah Palin and Coulter and Hillary Clinton walk into a bar. The bartender says, get the hell out of here, Hillary, you worthless b-. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you're not telling it right. I got another one for you. What did President Obama say to Vice President Biden? Uh, I don't know. Nothing. He couldn't talk because I had my shotgun in his mouth, the punk. <laughs> uh, see, Ted, that's what I'm, I'm kind of talking about there. It, you know, it, it, it is a Class D felony t- t- to threaten the president. Let me see if I can explain it to you, P.F. Ever heard of Kinnison? Pryor? I'm one of them! Uh, yeah, but they were funny. I'm funny as shit. Let's try again. I'll try knock-knock joke. You start. Uh, no, no, I've heard this one before. I say knock-knock, and you say who's there, and then I look dumb. No, 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 you don't need any help there, P.F. But that's not the joke anyway. You go on, you start. All right. Okay, knock-knock. Yes, 911, it is shot an intruder. <laughs> uh, I just really think you need to stick to music, Ted. I mean, I'm not a fan, but you seem to be better suited to that. Uh, shut up and sing, as your friend Laura Ingram would say. Well, that goes for the Hollywood elitist, BF, not patriots. Yeah, well, I guess, um, because you had a visit from the Secret Service uh, the other day about the comments you made at the NRA convention. <laughs> yeah, I like those fellas. They saw them bat crazy, but harmless. Uh, then I taught them how to score with underage chicks. Those boys sure could use some pointers, I'll tell you. They don't know anything about chicks. They do know a lot about guns, though, so we got along great. Okay, Ted. Well, uh, thanks for checking in. All right, P.F., I must be off. I'm still not sure he gets it, and I'm pretty sure Governor Romney doesn't get it either, as he still hasn't denounced Nugent's comments. Uh, the Dixie Chicks didn't threaten George Bush, but they still caught all kinds of grief for it, while people with Ted are like, Oh, you crazy guy. Oh, I'm sorry. Another call coming in. Let me grab this real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, hello? Uh, P.F., uh, Mitt Romney here. Uh, how's it going? Oh, good. I just finished talking to your uh, buddy Ted Nugent there. Oh, yes. He's a pistol, isn't he? Eh, uh, good one, Governor. Uh, what do you mean? Never mind. Hey, aren't you a little embarrassed uh, that that guy, uh, th- that the guy that's endorsing you, uh, turned around and kind of threatened the President of the United States? You know, uh, I can understand uh, half of what he says uh, there, P.F., to be quite honest. Uh, I mostly just nod and smile when Ted talks. Well, what he said was uh, pretty awful. Well, he is an entertainer, P.F., and, and I think people are simply surprised and maybe a little envious that one of today's top music stars is endorsing my candidacy. Yeah, but I don't think he's really one of today's top music stars, Governor. Why, sure he is, and he's endorsing me, along with Kid Rock. You, you know, I was also told that Rick Astley is going to endorse me as well. Um, he's British, and he hasn't had a hit in, I think, like 25 years? Oh, nonsense, B.F. Why, every time I open an important email and click on the link, it takes me right to his video. You know, I like his message. I may even make that my campaign theme. Really? That's right, B.F. Oh, I'm never going to give you up. And by you, I mean the voters. Uh, Never going to let you down. Uh, Never going to run around and desert you like our president has. Thank you very much. Uh, Next question. Yes, you over there. Uh, it's still me, Governor. Uh, yes, and what's your question, B.F.? 
Are you going to denounce Ted Nugent and his incendiary comments? I believe in freedom, P.F., like our founding fathers intended. If you don't like what Mr. Nugent says, don't buy his records. Well, I think people have been doing that for years already. Well, then problem solved. Anything else I can do for you? Uh, no, I think we're done here, Governor. Thank you. Well, very good, P.F. Pleasure talking to you. I must be off. Many people recognize John Heffern as the Midwestern Everyman comic who won season two of Last Comic Standing. He was also Danny Bonaducci's radio sidekick in Detroit for a number of years. Here now is our interview with John Heffern. Okay, joining us on PF's tape recorder, it's comedian John Heffron. John, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. Um, I haven't spoken to you in years. I spoke to you when you were in Cincinnati, uh, gosh, probably right after Last Comic Standing was probably the last time we spoke. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I believe that was, uh, if I recall right, was what, 1974 maybe? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. We, yeah, yeah, right. you, were, you were taping real to real for your podcast at the time. Yes, and yeah, Last Comic was in black and white, of course. And yeah, uh, yeah. was being hosted by Milton Berle, and um, <laughs> yeah, and I lost to a puppy, but that's okay. But yeah. that was that was you know that was a different time. Yeah. So, uh, are you still in contact with those folks? I I interview, of course, a lot of people that were not only on the show ever, but in in those particular two seasons that you were involved with. Um, but they, they, you still uh, run into each other, and you guys still friends? Yeah, um, mostly, you know, thank gosh the Twitter is, is really where I will say hi to, you know, really any comic. Every once in a while you see a, a comic at the airport, but they're usually, you know, sprinting to the next gate Yeah, like I am, and it's kind of like one of those things where you nod. I think I saw um, Alonzo Bowden, um, who was on my, my season. We were at an airport. We just saw each other, and we both did the head nod and just kept walking. <laughs> and because, you know, so, yeah, we have to play together. So really, like Alonzo and Kathleen Madigan and maybe Tammy Pacitelli, uh from my season are the only ones that, you know, I ever run into or say hi to. So um, when you had finished uh, that season, uh, you were had, had just recently been married, I guess. And uh, what's happened in your life since then? Is it is uh, have life changes affected your comedy even further since then? Yeah, you know, I mean, when somebody puts it to you like a question like that, and I realize what has changed. That's you know a good reality check. I'm still married, although I'm on the road 48 weeks a year, so I'm sure my wife has a boyfriend by now. Huh. Um, <laughs> You know, but it's, I've literally been just going nonstop, you know, since then. Uh, any kids yet? I know. I have a, I have a stepdaughter okay. um, who just turned uh, 18. So, I, you know, I'm at that weird age where I don't have kids yet, and I've mathematically figured it out. You know, being in your early 40s, even if I had a kid yesterday, by the time that kid moves out of my house, I'm going to be like 66. And two weeks later, I got to move back in with him. <laughs> wow. So I might have mispardoned a couple things. Well, it sounds like a, it might might be a plan that works out, though. <laughs> yeah, then I, you know, then I'm just, uh, you know, 
It'd be easy being single by myself when I'm 70. I guess I can hit all the really cool old retirement um, old people cruises, you know? There you go. So what kind of things are you talking about on stage these days? You know, I've always talked about what's going on um, with whatever's in my life at that time. So the older I get, the more I talk about, you know, changes and stuff like that. But I also stick in the wheelhouse. You know, people know me and like my act because I'm, you know, I'm clean. Um, you know, I don't, I don't get that political on stage. I don't think anybody needs to pay money to come and see my fake madness at the political system. Yeah. Like a lot of, you know, comics do. I just, you know, some comics are just like, how do you fake being that angry every single night? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I just stick with, uh, you know, relatable stuff where at my shows, people, you know, will look, and go, oh my gosh, he grew up in my, he must have grew up in my, you know, house, or he's just like my husband, or his wife sounds just like me, you know, and, and, and I like that. I think, you know, and, you know, people enjoy it. Yeah, you do seem to have a lot of uh, relatable stories about 30-ish, 40-ish, you know, early 50-ish dudes uh, like ourselves, uh, you know, some of the <laughs> things we're, we, we did experience and how, how the world's treating us now. Yeah, and it's, you know, and it's, and people enjoy that, you know, it, you know, as a comic, you eventually, you know, I started off doing stand-up, you know, at 18 years old, and my crowd has kind of grown with me, and I find ways to kind of incorporate, you know, the 18, 19-year-olds who do come to the show, so they're not bored, and I'm not just some old guy up there yapping. Exactly, yeah. Well, uh, it's nice to know you're on our side, number one, and then number two, it gives something, <laughs> gives the young people something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a nice, you know, cross-section where you just get everybody involved. Now, um, when you were, you started doing comedy at 18, and then I think even before last comic, a lot of folks knew you, at least maybe in the Midwest, certainly in the uh, Detroit metro area, as uh, one of the co-hosts of Danny Bonaducci's radio program. And I don't think I ever found out from you how that gig came about. You know what? Um, I had no radio experience before that show, and I was on as a local stand-up on... Um, this really popular morning show, Dick Purton, um, and I was just on all the time that helped promote dates, and I just did really well when I was on his show, because um, I, I think I was one of those comics that knew how important it was just to do material, you know, because it's weird sometimes when comics do morning radio, they just get up, they're on there and they just start going, uh, I'm tired, what, you know, and you yeah. don't realize you're kind of there to sell tickets. Yeah. So you do have to kind of rip it and slow at, you know, 95 miles per hour the whole time you're there because that's why you're there. So I would do that. And then when he ended up leaving, going to another station, he suggested to that radio station that, you know, they should hire me as the, the sidekick because I was kind of a local guy and stuff. And, you know, then, uh -huh. then I did it. And that was the one. And then we all got fired like every radio guy does. And I just, I had really no ambition to ever continue it or, or you know, try to go into another city or whatever. I just uh. went to Detroit again and went back to L.A. where I was um, before I got the radio job. And then I think six or seven months later, I got on last comic standing. Okay. So you were already out in Los yeah. Angeles and you actually came back to Detroit to do the radio. Yeah, I moved, oh. I moved out there and I, I was out there for a year or so. And then right when I got out there, I literally unpacked my apartment and I got a call from the radio guy saying, asking if I'd be interested. 
Hmm. And then I was like, sure, I'd be interested. And then he said how much money it would be. And at the time, it was more money than I've ever made. And in my brain, I was like, oh, my. So I was like, are you kidding me? I have to repack and move back to Detroit. And that's, you know, actually what I did. Which ended up helping because I was pretty green when I went to L.A. And then I went back to Detroit, made a little bit of money, got, felt like a little bit of a, of a big fish in a small pond because everyone kind of knew who I was. Oh, yeah. But whatever kind of fake attitude that is, <laughs> I then could take back to L.A. where I didn't feel as newish. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't feel as needy. Um, even though that's all in your head on, on all accounts across the board, but, but I think it, it helped, you know, kind of mature me, I guess. So you, you were still doing stand up uh, in Detroit while doing the radio show? Yeah, I would do it every, you know, every weekend that some, you know, you do an appearance and, and stuff like that. I, I kind of kept my stand up chops, um, you know, while doing radio. So uh, what things are you working on these days, uh, apart from uh, doing stand-up? You know, I, uh, yeah, doing, I'm doing a lot of um, cool stuff, like some corporate training in the sense of where I'm showing like CEOs how to do platform speaking stuff, and they have to address their, their company. It, that's something I just kind of fell into, and I really enjoy it. You know, it's kind of, um, even though that sounds really boring, you know, sometimes it's more grat- gratifying helping some guy nail a speech and, and, and use a little bit of humor than being on stage at a comedy club watching a 19-year-old girl text the entire time I'm on stage. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's, uh, I guess, yeah, it kinda, it's kind of, it's a nice way to change, you know, and then I'm working on a, a new special, but I'm trying to decide how I want to put that special out. Do I want to do it on TV or do I want to do it like everyone else is now where you just upload it? Yeah you know, on your website, but then nowadays, you know, people want the, all the specials for free that I don't even know if I want to put out an hour's worth of new material, where I just have people come and see me live. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a new landscape right now, trying to figure out what, you know, what the best way to do a lot of that is. Yeah, hard to imagine that uh, when you were starting out that you'd have to worry about all this kind of stuff, you know, because back then the landscape was so different, it was still kind of the tail end of the... Uh, you know, you got on this handful of talk shows, and uh, if you got on at least one of them, possibly two, everybody knew who you were, you know, within a month. And, of course, now it's uh, it's all completely different. No, you could do The Tonight Show, let's say, every day for a month. And then at the end of that month, say you're performing someplace, and maybe I don't think it'll move the dial on the amount of people that show up for uh, yeah. the most part. Yeah, and the other thing, it seems that uh, I, I've, I've been writing for some other papers around the country, and it seems like Salt Lake City uh, gets a whole different uh, crowd of comics than we get here in Cincinnati or up in Minneapolis where I write for, and it uh, just seems where there's a little cross-germination, but there's like Garfunkel and Oates, for example. They'll play out west there. I don't think they've ever come to Minneapolis or Cincinnati. And uh, so it's just weird. I think people also just get used to not only seeing those comics in their town, but they also show up on the radio in that town, so they're familiar with them. And, uh, you know, it's, I guess it's hard to get exposed to new comedians. Yeah, and it's weird, like, club, like, you know, I'm a pretty universal act in Portland, let's say. There's a comedy club there, and the owner was telling me, yeah, people really like, in Portland, the novelty 
kind of weirder art housey act, which weirder is the, is the wrong term, but let's say, you know, you mentioned Garfunkel and Oates. Yeah. Right? That, that would kind of fall into that category, almost like a hipster type act. Yes. Um, you know, where I am, you know, relationships and remember when you were a kid, like I am old school storyteller, that type of act, where in some cities, you know, probably like the musical type taste, that city just likes, you know, that certain, you know, type but, of act more than another type of act. Yeah. It's interesting how... Uh, I'm very, yeah, I'm very Midwesty. Yes. And, um, you know, if you perform down south, those acts that do well there are, are different than me. <laughs> but uh, I, you probably travel better than most, I would imagine, though. You could probably, you know, because... Even if you grew up in the South or the West Coast, there's still a lot of you know things that uh, you have have in common, not only relationship-wise, but you know, growing up-wise. You know, unless, unless it's yeah, really, really, really specific. No difference. Yeah, the only big, the only big difference is, you know, just my rate of speech because I talk pretty fast anyway. Yeah. And the only thing that throws me off is if I'm somewhere down south, I have to almost slow down my speech where I think it's even a little, like I'm doing right now, where it's almost uncomfortable for me to talk as slow as I am right now. Or it sounds weird to yourself. <laughs> yeah, but that's the speed, with, because after a while, it just becomes too many words strung together if you're not used to talking that way. Yeah. So you, it's just really kind of about adapting and you know changing it to build rapport with that crowd, just depending on where you are. Where if you're more East Coast and you know, a little bit, then you can you can talk a little bit faster and maybe swear a little bit more. Oh, yeah, but true. luckily, my, my act is pretty universal in the sense where it's just a little bit of wind adjustment, and it's fine. Yeah, and it seems to work out, and, uh, you know, always always a crowd pleaser, John Heffron is, folks. So, <laughs> Well, uh, thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast, John. Good luck the rest of the way, and we'll see you in Cincinnati next week. And, uh, of course, on the uh, on our Podbean page, as always, we'll have links to uh, the appropriate websites and tour dates so people can uh, elsewhere in the country and perhaps around the world can catch you. Perfect, man. It's, it's always good when you get an extra plug for, you know, your Twitter. There so, you go. Perfect. All, all right, man. Well, yeah, I'll tweet this out when the, when it drops. should drop Sunday night. All right, perfect. All right, thanks, John. All right, take Again to John Heffern for being on the podcast. Now, last week, you may recall, we went back in time, sort of. Uh, played a song by Crash Coffin, a Cleveland performer I used to listen to uh, when I was a kid. Oh, only about 12 years old, I might have been, with uh, my tape recorder doing my own little radio show in my bedroom. And uh, I thought I'd play another track from that album. And again, you can find this whole album at CD Baby. Do not go to Amazon and get it, because Crash sees no money from the Amazon sales. Go to CD Baby. It's Crash Coffin, spelled just like it sounds. And again, of the 12 songs, only eight are kind of like light and humorous, I would say. The rest are a nice mix of uh, countryfied rock, blues, as well as a few other styles. It's all great stuff. Uh, and of course, 12-year-old me gravitated toward the funny songs, although I listen to the serious ones too. But uh, my faves are still kind of the funnier ones. Uh, and here is another one of those. This song is called Blue Kazoo. 
Jesus must be crazy to want to die for you and me. I don't want you in my heaven, and I know you don't want me. He was just here for 33 years, and we crucified him for his crime. First thing he said when he rose from the dead is I'm coming back again sometime. Hey, hey, hey. All he ever talked of was mustard seeds and wine. His friends were all the sickly type. He had to cure them all the time. Children all around him. Best friend turned him in for 30 chunks of silver. Then he kissed him on the chin with a grin. Hey, hey, hey. Churches really loved him. They made a fortune with his name. Cause his birthday comes on Christmas. Play the punches, pilot game. Buy yourself a candle, burn the holy flame. Two dollars for a prayer book, and everyone's the same. What a shame. Holy Roman rebound, where's our Jesus at? Ain't no need to hustle. He ain't coming back So come down from your altar Look into your hat We gave you all our money Now give our Jesus back Well about that time I fell asleep folks And I had a weird vision I dreamed that Jesus came back to earth out of all the people in the whole world he appeared to me yes he did and he looked just like he does in the movies i said jesus are you for real he said well son that's up to you he said what would you do if there was no jesus or god or heaven or hell i said hmm sounds like a typical trick jesus question I said, well, the first thing I'd do is I wouldn't go to work tomorrow morning. Sometime in the afternoon, I'd go downtown and strut down Euclid Avenue. The first thing I'd seen I liked, well, I'd grab it. Yeah. And if there was something there I didn't like, well, I'd shoot it. And if I felt like pulling down my pants, well, I'd do it. Well, Jesus, he just kind of laughed. He said, it looks like you need a Jesus around here. I said, yeah, Lord, I guess you're right. I said, what can I do for you, Lord? He said, why don't you do me a song? I said, well, Lord, what would you like to hear? He said, how about that one you do with the kazoo? I said, well, Lord, I got two gazoos. I got a pink one and I got a blue one. He said, well, if it's all the same to you, 
I think I'd like to hear the blues So I just played and played the best I could And when I got done He was gone And so was my blue kazoo Crash Coffin and Blue Kazoo. Thanks again to John Heffern for being on the show. Uh, head to our page on Podbean, that is pfradio.podbean.com, or you can also find us at oralgasm.org, that's A-U-R-A-L-G-A-S-M dot org. Uh, we have a spot there, has all the same information. PF's tape recorder logo was designed by Dan Coble. Follow him at TigerDactyl on Twitter. Like us on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at PF66. Music for PF's tape recorder composed by John Veropoulos with a little help from me. Performed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. Uh, that's all the business we have to take care of this week. So long and thanks for listening. <laughs>